Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. A Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. They're like a lovely little couple, except they're not. Coming up... What I mean is, can't you do that in your own time? And actually, if you are a gay man, from what I understand, you can get it 24 hours a day. So why is it... <laughs> it's true. God, why, why is well, it... How have I ended up in this position? How do you, how do you spaff eight times a day? <laughs> Quite easily. Now you know which one's straight. Well, you know, the thing is, you, it's not even about that. Who's Home Secretary and who's Leader is entirely temporary when you get to my old age. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, incredibly temporary when seen... it comes to the Conservatives. Well, it's incredibly temporary, <laughs> absolutely. What's your favourite podcast? I don't listen to that many. Wow, <laughs> Jay. It's written in lights behind you. And it's on your microphone. Know, this show definitely, but I'm trying to think. I, I, I... Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. Hey everyone, it's Dan. Uh, hello, Happy New Year. We will be back with our first proper episode uh, of Again and On Gay for 2024 soon. But before that, we wanted to showcase some of the amazing, amazing guests that we've had on the podcast this past year in Best of the Guests. Um, coming up, find out what happened when friend of the show and trans woman Eva Echo sued the NHS over waiting times for trans patients. Quite an emotional chat with the real Jill from It's a Sin. Uh, we're talking chemsex murders with journalist Patrick Strudwick. And you're going to hear legendary Fat Tony uh, opening up about his struggles with sex addiction. Plus, James gets argumentative with the Tory councillor. First up, though, we started the year with a really interesting chat with presenter Helen Scott about something I honestly, I didn't know this. I didn't know anything about. Why don't gay men and lesbians get along better? I do find it bizarre how if you're in like a mixed group of, say, like straight people or whatever, the gay men like seem to think it's like perfectly fine just to disappear like that's like totally do a girl. They don't think that's rude or anything. Whereas I don't think women in any respect, straight or otherwise, do. Dan, yes. What an observation. 100%. It's happened quite a few times and I've thought, there's no way I'd get away with that. People would be like, oh my God, Dan's up himself. He's this, that and the other. Whereas with gay blokes, it's like... It's just, it's just, you know, it's just part and parcel. Yeah, and again... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, generalisation, but it is, it's true. It's like one rule for one one rule for another. And I don't want to make the problem about sex because I'm very pro-sex. I'm very pro-shag who you want but how on much any day se- of the week. how much sex does there need to be? 
I'm in as much as you want. It's really personal choice and that's not a problem. No, but what I mean is, can't you do that in your own time? And actually, if you are a gay man, from what I understand, you can get it 24 hours a day. So why is it... <laughs> it's true. God, why, why is well, it... How have I ended up in this position? Why is it that you need to do it? Why can't you just wait an hour? I'm not sure if I've done that, actually. Well, people do do that. I'm not saying they haven't. It is a really interesting point and I think it just further demonstrates that there is this disparity between behaviours that are expected of gay men and expected of gay women I feel like we're, we're the ones that have got to you know go to bed early wake up and we'll go to the protest then you you go and you go and get your shag I completely agree with your point about get yourself to the protest mm. I've seen gays that I am less friends with now than I was that have turned up to let's just say it. I saw two gay people who are influencers <laughs> turn up to the trans parade and I'd done pretty much most of it at this point I saw them turn up they took a selfie and then they turned around and went into Soho yeah just to boost their social media profile yeah and to look like they give a shit when really all they want to do is fuck and it's this problem of there being so much performative allyship even within the community that is not fucking helping us move any further mm -hmm. you know at the end of the day we're so we're so close to losing our rights i don't think anyone really understands yeah, quite yeah. how politically charged our lives are right now yeah and again it, it could be this idea that men are just like yeah well we're men we're fine we're all right you know we've we're, we're blokes we'll we're, we'll be all right we're the top of the hierarchy don't i don't know. know i don't think that's how i feel as a gay man i think that's probably unfair i think everything else you've said is fine but i'm not sure that's fair i think we just have a really good ability of ignoring things mm. i certainly do i would just sometimes i want to bury my head in the sand and just pretend everything's okay and maybe that's a privilege gifted to me as a man but i'm not sure that's a conscious decision but i definitely think there's a problem in general in the performative allyship across the community within mm. and also from straight people also and i think that is a real problem the thing about allyship is quite nuanced isn't it yeah, oh, it's quite totally. difficult to explain the whole thing gender politics sexuality politics it's it's so Oh my God, we can go yeah. off in so many different directions. What I hope as well is that it's so easy for us now to, you know, we, this is the first time openly me, you and I are having a conversation like this. Mm. So the idea hopefully now is someone jump in. Let's start a, a, a deeper conversation. Expand my thought process. I'll expand yours. Let's continue the conversation. And I think the worry is that people just go, oh, I can't be bothered. You know, I don't want to get involved. I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying the right thing. None of us say the right thing all the time. But if we don't talk about it, if there's no conversations, then then nothing is going to change. Brilliant stuff from Helen there. Um, one of our favourite people on the podcast is our trans activist friend. Uh, she's director of innovation at Birmingham Pride, Eva Echo. Not least one of our favourite people because she is based in Birmingham. Wahey! Eva, you were suing the NHS over the extremely long waiting times yeah. for trans people, right? So at the moment, the NHS um, constitution states 18 weeks from when you're referred by a GP to a specialist service, and you should have your first appointment within that. Most people generally do. However, with the trans community in England, you are looking at four, five years at least for your first appointment. So myself, along with the Good Law Project and three other claimants, we launched legal action against NHS England to challenge that. Basically stating that it's unlawful and discriminatory. No other area within the NHS actually 
you know, openly measures the waiting times in years like this. And people are dying. People are really struggling because there's no mental health support or any other support whilst we're waiting. So we had our hearing at the end of November. This case has been going on for about 18 months now. And we finally had our day and a half in courts where the, the judge heard both sides. And we recently had the, uh, the judgment handed down to us. And the judgment was... Unfortunately, we weren't successful in our challenge. Why? Well, the judge ruled that it's a target duty, this 18-week rule that they have, and we argued that it's a legal duty. If it's legal, then therefore they must meet that requirement. But the judge heard all the evidence and decided it's target duty, basically administrative. If you hit it, you hit it. If you don't, you don't. But we argued, what's the point of having a target if it's not enforceable? But there was also some positive news about trans youth. Yes. So NHS England argued that trans youth aren't covered by the Equality Act. Basically, um, to be covered, you have to propose to undergo or be going through gender reassignment. And they argued that if you're a trans youth, then you technically haven't started that process yet and therefore would not be covered. I think I'm lost already. Anyone under 18 that's trans, the The, NHS were arguing that they're not covered by... The Equality Act. So basically uh, protection against discrimination. Surely everybody in the United Kingdom is protected by the Equality Act regardless of age. Technically, yes. But there's a very specific section of the Equality Act which covers trans people. So they're they're arguing that that section does not cover trans youths. I'm going to be really thick with my questioning today. I just want everyone to know that. And the reason for that is that I I get questioned by people like my neighbour, like what's going on? And I don't officially know. So I'm just going to be really dumb and ask you this. If trans people under the age of 18 are not covered by the Equality Act in the eyes of the NHS in England, what does that mean? They can just say whatever they want to trans people? What what does that look like in layman's terms? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, so what you would class as discrimination, they could get away with it. So things like misgendering, um, you know, you, you don't have to respect that person's pronouns or anything like that. So they are quite happy. Dan, please cut in if you want. Well, I'm, ju- I'm just... <laughs> They're quite happy. <laughs> They're quite happy to stand up and say proudly, no, we want to be able to misgender trans people because actually they're not covered by the Equality Act. Yeah. Why would they do that? Because as far as they're concerned, they don't see trans youths as trans people because they've not undergone any part of gender reassignment. So therefore, they're not covered. Eva Echo there. If you haven't seen her TED talk exposing unwritten rules with nipples and pizza toppings, uh, make sure you do. Uh, also in March, we did a gig at the O2 Arena, sort of, at the Just For Last Festival. And we were joined by a very, very special guest, Jake Shears. This is great. That was your new song, Too Much Music, that we just heard. And it's about how there can never be too much music, but you're wrong because there's way too much music. There is, and that's what I was thinking about, actually, when I first started writing the song. I was like, I was sitting there. I complain all the time that there is actually too much music. and There's not of gatekeepers because there's so much, you know, swill on Spotify. I mean, like, anybody's grandma could, like, upload her farts, and, like, there it's, like, <laughs> popping up in your playlists. So... I was like, that's a really great title, Too Much Music. But then I was like, it's, I don't want to complain in a song about there being too much music. So I, I, I realized I could put There Can Never Be at the top of that <laughs> and make it positive. <laughs> Dan and I were chatting about this earlier, and it's a bit like podcasts. Like We, we would never say there can never be too many podcasts. There's quite a lot of podcasts, right? A, a ton, yeah. There are so many. What's your favorite podcast? I don't listen to that many. Wow, <laughs> Jay. It's written in lights behind you, <laughs> and it's on your microphone. I, I, no, this show definitely, but I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, 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 
I, there are a lot. There's a lot out there. I get, I forget them. I kind of like, then they start like building up and you're, you know what I mean? If you miss them and you're subscribed to them <laughs> and then it gets overwhelming and <laughs> yeah, you are right. yeah. Your new album you've said is a dance record from top to bottom. Which are you, top or bottom? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. There are some <laughs> it just it depends. I mean, there's more than that. There's other options. It depends. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the situation and the person. I mean, God knows I've done both. Yeah. How about that? Slight gear change, as we are want to do on this podcast. Uh, this month, it is three years since Channel 4's It's a Sin, believe it or not. And back in April of 2023, we caught up with Jill Nolder, the real-life inspiration behind the character of Jill from the show. You brought this book out, Love from the Pink Palace, and I read it in waves because I found it incredibly moving. It must have been very difficult for you to write. I knew I had to gear myself up to go through a whole the moments when my friends passed away because I knew that I'd have to write about that. So that was the hard thing. But I also did have a laugh. And what is absolutely fantastic is that people, I get a little bit emotional about that because people are just saying my friends' names that I haven't heard for outside of our own little circle. That would never have happened. And yesterday somebody said to me, I was reading about Juan when I was on a flight flying home and I thought, God, that's amazing because he would be like, yeah, come on, read about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that I think they would be so pleased about that because let's face it, they were all in the theatre. They all like to be seen and noticed, you know, and it's noticed in a way they would never have imagined. But I hope it's good. It's always interesting reading, reading or watching things set in the 80s because I'm just waiting for people to, to die. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so don't even go there. Oh. So you read the yeah, book and you yeah, hear about all yeah. these amazing blokes and I just think, oh God, are any of them going to make the end of the book? And I guess none of them did. Well, some did. Of course, they, they everybody didn't die, obviously, because some people just lived long enough to get treatment. Some people remain negative. But my three closest friends didn't. Yeah. They, they didn't survive. But it's funny you said that. Because when we went to the very first reading of It's a Sin and Russell Davis, obviously it's a television series, so you've got to have respect to the memories, respect to the people concerned, respect to the actors, and respect to the fact that Russell Davis said no spoilers. And he said you must not say who lives or who dies uh, regarding the TV series because that is all there is. Who is going to get it and who isn't? And mm. that's the lottery of it. That's why it so surprised people when... The character of Colin, you know, people didn't expect yeah. that. Like you said, I kept waiting to see who was going to die. Does everyone die of AIDS? I read your stuff. He says no one survives. Oh, Mommy, make them do something. I don't want to die. Welcome back to A Gay and a Non-Gay. We are playing some of our favorite moments from the best of the guests in 2023. Now, something that we both enjoyed this year was White Smoke. It's an audible original podcast by journalist and friend of the show, Patrick Strudwick. He joined us in the studio back in July to dissect it. It's interesting. I mean, when we started this chat just now and Dan said this, this show is mind-blowing, like I am not surprised. Some of this information is very surprising and toxic, but chemsex, gay guy, lots of money, living in a flat, getting guys over, having parties. That's partly normal, really, in London even. I've been to similar events. 
Yeah, and I think it's really important that everyone recognises that, and this is the line that was said to me over and over again in all the interviews I did in Los Angeles, there are other Ed Bucks out there. Right. There are men, mostly with money, who exploit chemsex situations to their own ends. It's, you know, in a way, a, a perfect scenario for someone with malevolent instincts because... Many people who show up to a chemsex party have vulnerabilities in different ways in the sense that, you know, they might have a need for, they might have a need for drugs, they might have a need for just basic human connection because they're isolated, they might be in the closet, they might have mental health problems, and they might have financial problems because some people go to chemsex parties because it's somewhere to stay. People can stay there for a night, sometimes several nights. That's what he relied on. You know, many of his victims were homeless. But this is happening everywhere. We just don't hear about it. It's really interesting hearing you say that. <laughs> I don't want to be in my house right now because of some stuff that went down. And um, if I'm at a party and it's going later and later, I will put myself in danger just to be away from my own house. That's concerning. <laughs> I'm very aware of it, though. So I'm able to control that and make sure that I'm not going down the wrong path. But... A lot of people won't be aware of that. And I think a lot of gay people like us, we have a lot of trauma and shame that we sometimes have processed, sometimes haven't. And I think it can manifest in these situations. And we haven't really discussed chemsex, so I have no idea what you think about all of this. I guess it's just so far out of my world, really, to have, have any sort of informed opinion on it. Well, but... well, let me say this to you, Dan. Have there been times in your life when you look back now and you think, I shouldn't have gone home with that woman or I shouldn't have got off with that woman but at the time I was a bit lonely feeling a bit in need of reassurance or affirmation and I overrode my own instincts because there were warning signs there but I just went anywhere because of my underlying need yeah I guess so so you know exactly what chemsex is in the sense of the vulnerability and potential for danger if you take that situation of overriding your own instincts. Patrick Strubwick from back in July 2023, also back in July, uh, we celebrated in the UK, apart from Northern Ireland, 10 years of equal marriage. And we were joined by Lib Dem MP Leila Moran. And she told us why she was so annoyed with former Prime Minister David Cameron for taking credit for it. At the time, the public opinion on equal marriage was not where it is now. It was a debate that felt a bit niche. We had civil partnerships. So the question that was floating around was, well, you've got civil partnerships. Why do you want marriage? And in fact, there were couples who were straight who wanted civil partnerships. And there was, a, in the other direction, people who wanted that kind of equality. And Lynn Featherstone, who at the time was Equality's minister in the Home Office, brought the idea. It wasn't in either party's manifesto, interestingly. But she was like, I see a campaign here. I think now is the time. She brought it initially to Theresa May, who actually backed it pretty quickly. It then became a priority for Nick Clegg when he was negotiating with David Cameron. David Cameron did not back that immediately. And this is what made me so upset about him trying to now appropriate that history. That mm. was not where he was at. He wasn't against it personally. He was worried that there was a section of his vote that would then go against it and that there were sections of his party that wouldn't accept it, which that's, is just politics. That's very interesting, though, because that's also his downfall. That exact same concern. Oh, some of my party want a Brexit vote. And if I don't do it, then I'll no longer be 
prime minister and my yep. party will be over. So he did it and then the country's over. <laughs> but the Conservative Party as a whole, it puts the party first. If I was a Tory MP, I truly believe that the best thing for the country is to have a Tory government. Full stop. No matter what form, no matter what it does, I just simply believe that to be true. Then you put your party's unity first. And so that machination about which sections of the party, much bigger party than ours, we've got an easier job. You can literally just talk to individuals and get around them quite quickly. You can't really do that in a party of hundreds. You have to approach it in a different way. So I don't necessarily blame him for that. What I have an issue with, though, is that 10 years down the line, the Tories are now claiming that it was their idea. Spill that tea. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, they've got an attack on other parts of the LGBT community. Uh, and they're trying to divide us. I, I just think it's, it's so hypocritical. And it's not at all a reflection of what happened in history. Staying political, uh, cast your minds back to September this year when this happened at the Tory party conference. When the Home Secretary criticised gender ideology, one Conservative London Assembly member quietly heckled. There's no such thing as gender ideology. No, no, this is true. Andrew Boff was escorted out by police and marched out of the conference compound. So that's Andrew Boff. He's a Tory member of the London Assembly and he was thrown out during the Home Secretary Suada Braverman's speech. We just had to get him on the podcast and talk about it. Obviously, you're quite a senior Tory of the City Hall level, but you're not in the Cabinet. Why are none of those guys and girls speaking up about they this? Are. Why are they all turning up on Newsnight and, and the Today programme parroting the, the same talk? They are way? speaking up, but like all parties, what they do first is they speak up internally. Oh, no, I'm not going to take. And where's that? Gonna, like, I'm mean, not going to betray confidence. Like they've betrayed LGBT people. <laughs> um, uh, not the people who contacted me. They said, of course haven't. not. Where do you think that that will lead, or where do you hope that will lead? The, the change of that, tone. Uh, yeah. Uh, reviewing some of those daft things that they've come out with, especially the single sex, uh, the single sex wards thing. It's, it's just bizarre, and I want them to review that because. There is no basis for it whatsoever. I mean, I know we're not going to get like a big gotcha moment out of your here or whatever, but you know, if if Jeremy Corbyn was standing on a big stage and being anti-Semitic, people would say he needs to stand down. So why won't you go as far as saying that Suella should stand down because she's said transphobic rhetoric that has literally? I, I, I don't. I don't. I simply don't make those decisions. But that period in the Labour Party history. Well, I don't want to that, talk about that really, but I just want yeah, to. Yeah, but that that period in the Labour Party history was very very damaging to them very very damaging and to this them. is very damaging and this is very damaging to us and in that time there were a lot of people in the labor party who stayed in the labor party good mates of mine incidentally i've you know and i, I seem to have more labor friends than tory <laughs> no no that's but not that's, that's, that's probably not a reason for that actually uh, that's <laughs> not true that's not true that's not true but I, i've got a lot of friends in the labor party they stood with the labor party because they believed in the labor of party's course. principle it's my party. Yeah. Who who the leader, you know, who who's Home Secretary and who's leader is entirely temporary when you get to my old age. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's know, incredibly temporary when seen, it comes to the Conservatives. Well, though. incredibly temporary, <laughs> absolutely. I've, you know, when, you, you, when you, leaders come and go, Home Secretaries come and go, and I, yeah. I sometimes forget who was, you know, because yeah. there's been so many. Is the Tory party, is it a safe space for LGBTQ plus people? It absolutely is. Because <laughs> I'm, if you want to join the Conservatives and you want to join my struggle... Just message me, Andrew Boff. <laughs> I'm on Twitter or Andrew at LondonConservative.com. Just message me. You will be more than welcome and you can join the fight. Yeah. Are you in, Dan? <laughs> I'm personally not, but thank you so much for coming on. 
It's been quite the ride. Yeah, it's so <laughs> frustrating, though. You want me to start instructing my party what to do? I yeah, I guess yeah, so. You do. I, I want. <laughs> I, I see that you've got a fight in you, and I'm so glad that you are there in the trenches fighting that fight for our community. Yeah. But it is so upsetting the way this government has pivoted into LGBTQ plus attacks and rhetoric deliberately, either for votes or whatever it is they think they're doing. And it, it's wonderful that, you know, there's a, a massive majority of conservatives that disagree mm. with Suella and with Rishi, but they're the people that are representing the conservative party. They are the top Tories, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and so, yes, they change regularly, but yeah. that's so dangerous because it gives, it empowers so much hate on the streets of yeah. the UK, where, as you said, transphobic hate crimes are yes. up and they're responsible for that. I believe that your party is responsible for that. And maybe you're not fighting hard enough. Possibly. Always accept, always willing to accept criticism. And, and, but but I, I, one thing I do like about the Conservative Party is that when the mood changes, we tend to change the people at the top. And we do it with much more consistency than the other parties do. And who knows what might happen. What, between now and the election? <laughs> no, surely not. Only another two Tory leaders till Christmas. You know, <laughs> as, as we were saying in the trust period. Now, talking of the Tory government, Jane Ozan, who is a evangelical Christian and chair of the Bank Conversion Therapy uh, Organisation, she joined us in November 2023 ahead of the King's speech. Now, at the time, there was quite a bit of confusion about whether or not a conversion therapy ban would be included in the King's speech. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. But we caught up with Jane and asked her why she resigned quite uh, abruptly from the government's LGBT plus advisory panel. You said at the time it was a hostile environment for LGBT people and you couldn't believe how ignorant some of these people are, including Liz Truss. What did you mean by that? What was going on? I have to be slightly careful what I say because obviously the meetings we had were confidential. Sure. But do you though? <laughs> you resigned. Well, you resigned. Jane. I resigned, and I called it out. Well, so at the time, actually, Kemi Badenoch, who was the the more junior minister, so Liz Truss was the Secretary of State and Minister for Women and Equalities. Kemi, at the time, who's who's now Secretary of State for women and qualities, but at the time she was just Minister for Equalities. And by her own admission, she didn't do LGBT. She, she literally doesn't. said that, I don't do LGBT. She had two various other Tory friends, and yet she had to give a speech in a, what we call a Westminster Hall debate on conversion therapy. So she set out where the government was coming from. And that speech was so diabolical. And to me, that showed a deep level of ignorance. I'll come back to why. That was the final straw for me. But before that, we'd had meetings with Liz and Kemi. And as I say, the level of ignorance or, or sort of stereotyping. I mean, we had some trans members in our advisory panel, some of whom were openly trans, some of whom... It was known, but you'd have to read their notes. And, and, and yet they were talking to, to the ministers. And you could see the minister going, what? You're trans? You know, I, I, you don't fit my image. Yeah. And yet we had some probably a bit more butch lesbian saying, well, we have problems in toilets too now because people think that we're trans and we're not. What I realised, they just didn't understand the lived experience of people across the LGBT spectrum. And these are people with the power to oversee LGBT strategy. You know, Liz Truss had um, inherited one of the best pieces of work the world has ever seen, and I'm, I'm, I'm not over-egging that, we in the UK had done this amazing survey back in 2018. Over 100,000 LGBT people responded. 
telling the government what their needs were, what their concerns were. And out of that had come, um, and this was under Theresa May, a Mm. brilliant action plan of stuff that would have really transformed things for the LGBT community. But Liz put that all on hold and said, no, don't want to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. And that, too, to me, signaled that she didn't understand what we needed. She didn't want to listen and uh, was going down her own route. Jane Ozan, and to our final episode of the year, which dropped just last week, it's from our live show at Cheerful Earful Festival in London. Now, we were joined by the legendary Fat Tony. Now, you really need to listen to this all if you haven't yet. It's a proper in-depth conversation about addiction, recovery, and how he finally found happiness. But here's the real question on everyone's lips, or at least mine. How do you, how do you spaff eight times a day? <laughs> Quite easily. Now you know which one's straight. Well, you know, the thing is, <laughs> It's not even about that. It's about just about degrading yourself to that level. You don't need to come because there is no end product in it within sex addiction. It's not about, oh, I need to come. I need to ejaculate eight times a day. It's about the first and the want to to completely annihilate you. I mean, I... You know, I I, I wrote a book called I Don't Take Requests for It. And in that book, I I explain it and I go into sex addiction. Because people don't understand sex addiction. They think we're having a good time. And, you know, it's not a good time. And so you you just have continually having sex with people. And it's not about coming. It's not about that. Because that kind of ends it. Yeah, but but at least it gives you a a logical point to move on. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever bought really shit coke? I don't. No, well, like, okay. So when you buy, <laughs> when, you, when you're at 6 a.m. and you've called the dealer and you've waited three hours for him and, and he's on the phone saying, soon come, yeah, and you're like in a phone box praying to God for the first time in like 30 years. And, you know, and you get it and you know you're buying shit coke because he's like the eighth one down the list, right? We all have the dealer, then we have, mm, he's okay, that dealer, then we have the second, you know, and it worked our way down. And then 6.30 in the morning, you're sitting there and you're clucking, you oh, fuck it, it's going to be shit, but let's do it anyway. Let's waste 350 quid on it. Let's just do it. And it turns up and it's shit. And once you've got it in your hand, right, it's game over. You don't even want to snort it. It's the chase. It's in all of us. Yeah. It's human nature. It's like when we used to go hunting back in the prehistoric days when we hunted for our food. It's, it's in all of us. It's... it's, 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 it's it's our human nature to want to chase. And, it's, and it gets to that point where it's just about the chase. And it's the same with sex addiction. It's that chase. It's that once you've got it, you're kind of like, oh, can you leave now? You know what I mean? Next. Yeah. It's that whole, that's, the, that's what you get off on. Thank you so much for listening to A Gay and a Non-Gay. Don't forget, if you want to support this podcast, you can do so. Gaynongay.com slash donate will take you to our Patreon page. Thank you so much for listening on behalf of both James and myself. We can't wait to see you in 2024 properly. You can follow us on Instagram at Gaynongay, Twitter at Gaynongay as well. If you've got any questions, you want us to answer on the show please do reach out we read everything uh, i think we're having a week off but we will see you hopefully in a couple of weeks take care uh, thanks for listening babes do the admin and support a gay and a non-gay visit gaynongay.com slash donate